I'd like to pick up on a theme that Susan touched upon this morning, the instructions, uh, process of letting go. Explore that a little bit. And also to make some suggestions and explore with you um, what can facilitate a greater sense of relaxation and ease in the work that we're doing here on retreat. Well, I think it's important to acknowledge, and maybe for those of you who are new, who, um, you know, we had our groups today and people seem to be doing pretty well, but it's it's pretty apparent that it takes a certain amount of effort um, to do this practice in this context, that uh, in some ways it's work. I mean, it doesn't have to be grim, but we can see that uh, showing up isn't always so easy. It's not always our preferred place to be, is in the present moment. Uh, there's a strong tendency in the mind, very deep conditioning in the mind, to want to go somewhere else. Uh, someplace that old expression of the grass is greener. Um, and sometimes when we come on retreat, <clears throat> you know, we're really happy to kind of escape our everyday life and come here and, you know, looks really wonderful. It's a refuge. And then we start sitting and all of a sudden back home looks pretty good. Um, and, you know, everything starts looking a little shinier back there uh, when you start just kind of hanging out with yourself and, uh, you know, in such a direct way. I mean, it's quite a practice, this practice of just being with yourself. And it would be very difficult I want to emphasize, I said this in opening night, to do it alone. You know, to have this kind of support and structure is so unusual. Uh, but it still doesn't necessarily um, make it easy. And, and what, what is challenging in this practice, and we're asking a lot of ourselves, what is challenging is this process of letting go. But what are we letting go of? Well, we're letting go of what causes us suffering. We're trying to bring more understanding to what causes our suffering. And what we can see in a direct way when we start paying attention in a more sustained way is that we've accumulated a lot of habits of mind that we live with. We don't even know their habits. Uh, that we think in certain ways. And we think in very uh, conditioned ways. In other words, we learn things. And we integrate that learning. The brain picks up on it. Develops grooves, you know, channels. And we begin to perceive the world, we make our decisions, we choose our relationships, we act coming from that place, place where we've learned, where we're conditioned. And what the Buddha said was, unfortunately for us, the kinds of things we learn are based on ignorance. And what he means by ignorance is that it, there's a lack of clarity oftentimes in our conditioning around what is actually going to lead to happiness and peace. And so we need, each of us in this hall, need to discover that for ourselves. There's no way around it. You know, nobody can do it for you. People can encourage and support, hopefully provide a little bit of guidance, but it's really up to us. You know, we have to be convinced. We have to see very clearly what is going to lead to freedom. What are the kinds of things that are not working for us? 
that are generating suffering, tension, discontent, unhappiness, dissatisfaction, and see it very directly, clearly. And so that transformation, you know, that journey, uh, it's a deep journey. It's, um, quite frankly, it's not just a five-day retreat. It's a lifetime, really, of learning, exploring, paying attention to your experience, calling up inner resources so that we can respond to our changing life in a way that leads to freedom rather than creating or reinforcing suffering. So think about that for a minute. So, a lot of these habits of mind create problems for us when we begin to sit and take a look. And so it's very, very helpful. See, the more and more I practice, the more significance I see in our attitude, cultivating an attitude around practice, around ourselves, in an attitude that's wholesome, that's skillful, that actually will facilitate this letting go process, this deconditioning, this freedom. But this attitude is something we need to learn. Because so many of our attitudes that we've picked up along the way are generating a lot of suffering. So I'd like to go through a few of the qualities that I feel are very supportive for nurturing uh, relaxation in your practice when we take up this journey uh, that at times can seem very arduous and challenging. Other times it's extremely joyful and we're experiencing the fruit of practice and that inspires us uh, to keep going and to deepen our practice. But certainly along the way, every yogi, every meditator needs to practice and learn how to be patient. In other words, cultivating patience. Patience. You know, we're really swimming upstream when we talk about developing patience because our culture, I don't know if it can get any more impatient than it is already. I mean, it's like the whole technology field is based on generating, you know, there's a tremendous amount of impatience based in our toys, uh, wanting them to go faster and faster, wanting them to be able to give us more and more information. I remember when I first started technology with computers, um, you know, if I look back at the early days, what they could do and how quick they were, uh, so, you know, now, you know, we all want the latest version because it's three times faster. Uh, and if there's any kind of delay at all, you know, it's, it's seen as completely dysfunctional. I remember once pulling into a gas station. It was a mobile gas station. And I was, you know, you go through the routine of sliding your car through and pumping the gas. I go to self, self gas stations because they're obviously cheaper. Uh, and there was a little sign next to it, and they were selling these little uh, key cards. You just flash the key, I guess, and the computer reads it out, and then you just start pumping, so you don't have to go through pushing any buttons or any of that. And underneath that little advertisement said, patience is overvalued. (laughs) I was thinking, you know, boy, 
what a message, <laughs> you know? What a message to, for suffering, you know? Patience is overvalued. Patience is definitely not overvalued. And if we think of patience, it always has this grim tone to it. Like, you know, you've got to grit your teeth, you know, you've got to put up with stuff, uh, you know, no matter what, you'll just tolerate anything. That's not patience. That's a lot of concepts about, you know, how we're going to work through something. And, and so often it's not really about gritting your teeth and pushing through it. And that was really one lesson that I learned in my own practice. Uh, it took me quite a while to get out of that gritting your teeth mode. You know, many years actually. Um, so, you know, that's not necessarily what we're talking about with patience. Patience is softer. It's bigger. It sees, sees the bigger picture so it allows us to be with and to hold the experience because one is we know it's impermanent. You know, whatever we encounter is impermanent. Another quality of mind that I think is crucial is humility. You know, it's, it, it's a quality that everybody in this room I know has to some degree anyways. You know, I'm sure we all could cultivate it more, and we will through this practice for sure. But humility is knowing that you don't have the answers. That you know you don't have the answers. All you have to do is take a look at the planet, and you know, as brilliant as we are, whatever we're, whatever we're doing, it's not working. Um, you know, we think we have a lot of answers, but really, the basic answer of how to resolve our suffering is still a mystery. And in many ways, you know, we're not getting close to it. You know, the things that we're doing are not getting close to it. To me, it's very freeing to realize that I don't know. You know, that I don't have all the answers. You know. Um, because to me, that encourages more openness. You know, there's nothing you have to prove. You don't have to be somebody. You know, the practice isn't about becoming. You know, it's not about becoming a good meditator. You know, it's not. It's about letting go of the things that are causing us suffering. You know, that's, that, 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 that understanding leads us to more of an understanding of selflessness. You know, not about becoming somebody. So to me, it's very reassuring and, and it's safe here. You know, this practice, it's safe to not have the answers. You know, in a lot of situations we find ourselves in, it isn't. You know, we're expected to have the answers. But we don't have to hold that expectation of ourselves. We can let it go. When we sit, let's just see what happens, you know, kind of. Let's take a look at the, this, this breathing process. So let's take a look, just experience sounds and see what the nature of those experiences are. And taking a fresh look, a mindful look at it. See what we can learn from that experience. And when we open the, instruc- <clears throat> when we open the instructions up, you know, we'll be talking about working with emotions or different states of mind. We've already been talking about that restlessness and sleepiness. And what the Buddha discovered is how we relate to what arises in the present moment determines whether we suffer or whether we free ourselves. And so what we're letting go of is the lack of clarity around those things. And that is fundamental. I can't think of anything more fundamental than that. Letting go of that confusion. And so not having the answer is great. You know, let's, let's take a look. Let's explore. Let's discover what's there. 
So often, you know, we have these concepts, these preconceptions about who we are. That's our conditioning, right? We've been told or we've picked up. In children, you can see it. Children pick up things constantly, subtle messages. And we keep accumulating this concept of who we are and what's possible. I can see that in my family, for instance. There's certain patterns where I can see there's a certain commonality of conditioning that we have learned together just within that just very small unit. But we do it on a much larger scale, both through the education system and through everything that we're learning along the way, all the subtle social cues that we pick up. So what we're doing in this practice and why it requires patience and some humility is we're peeling away those preconceptions. You know, we're peeling away those deeply held preconceptions about who we are, what brings happiness. You know, what are the common, what are the common messages that we get about happiness? Accumulation, security, home, relationship, job, success and failure. Success, right? Okay, is going to bring us happiness. I'm going to get to that in a minute, because that is delusion on a really large scale. So the spirit of inquiry is crucial in this practice. Crucial. In fact, it really, it is a process of inquiry. And what we're doing is developing mindfulness, developing some concentration, developing the capacity to observe in a more sustained way, with more frequency, what our experience is. And we're bringing that quality of mindfulness, fresh attention, you know, with, along with us, which is non-judging, open-hearted, and we're taking a look at our experience. And what we want to try to do, and this is not easy to do, this is asking a lot, but it's interesting just to ask it. You know, you might get no back, but it's an interesting question to ask, which is, can we generate a little bit of interest when we encounter something difficult? Because oftentimes what happens is we encounter something difficult and we want it to go away. We encounter sleepiness. We don't want to have it. Let's get out of it. Another way of looking at it is we encounter sleepiness, but then there's a way of relating to it, which is crucial to begin to bring more awareness to, which is the resistance, the concept that this should not be happening. And so a lot of the source of suffering that we can begin to peel away in that is extra what we're imposing on ourselves in our experience are these expectations of how things should be, how we should be, or expectations about how we shouldn't be. And we can see that on retreat. Maybe it doesn't happen today, but it might happen some point during the retreat where we come in. It's very difficult not to come on retreat with some degree of expectation or an agenda. You know, you might have sat, you might be sitting on a daily basis or had a good workshop or whatever, you know, a really wonderful, peaceful, quote, good sitting. And I mean that quote, good sitting. And, you know, there was an opening and it's important to have those openings for sure. And then we come on retreat, well, if we do it eight times a day, by the end of that day, it's going to be eight times better. You know, and if we come for full five days, well, Mike, where are we going to be at the end of five days? It's going to be like nirvana. Either way, it might, we might have a, lo- a lower bar, which is to resolve you know, some huge issue in our life that we want total clarity, we want to be totally done with it, and we want it to be done by five to, at the end of this retreat. Well, we come in with these expectations you know, about how things should or shouldn't be, 
And of course, what does that do? What is the effect of that? And that's what I want to talk about. The main effect is it creates an enormous amount of stress and non-relaxation in your practice. Because now we're imposing ideas on what our actual experience is. Think about that. We're doing that a lot. Sleepy, shouldn't be. Restless, should be calm. Peaceful, should stay. Feel concentrated, ooh. Hang on to that. Keep it. Two minutes later, it's gone. Five seconds later, it's gone. Where where do we land then? Suffering. Because we want it back. We didn't want it to go away. But its nature was to go away. The practice isn't about holding on to that momentary experience. My God. It's It's not that superficial. So what nurtures relaxation and ease is to begin to include, like to begin to bring more mindfulness and awareness in how we're relating to our experiences and to take a look at are we imposing our ideas on what our experience should be? And we need to take a look at what the consequences of that is. And there are certain signals that arise in practice, signs, expressions of clinging to a particular set of expectation, clinging to a particular agenda, like this should be happening by now, this shouldn't be this way. Okay. As if we have like a lot of control over that. So what are the signals? What are the kinds of things that tell me, oh yeah, uh, there's suffering happening, happening here. There's tension. There's some stress that I'm experiencing. I'm feeling agitated and reactive. Okay? So what are the signs? The signs, oftentimes, when we're feeling frustrated. Right? When we're fr- feeling frustrated or we're feeling impatient with what's happening. We're feeling sleepy. Maybe it's the first sitting. We're patiently trying to work with that second sitting. You know, it's still around. So we start feeling impatient. You know, start feeling impatient about that. And how does that get expressed? Well, it gets expressed in tension, self-criticism often, self-judging. It gets expressed oftentimes when we find ourselves, this, this whole clinging to expectation and the suffering that comes out of that, so much comes out of this comparing mind, right? We, that's our conditioning. Remember what I was saying? What we're taking a look at in a very clear way is what's causing suffering and what isn't. So if we come on this retreat, we know we're taking up something that's unusual. We're taking another approach than just sitting home thinking about our problems, analyzing, figuring it out, you know, trying to you know, work it that way through the thinking process. And what we're... What I think all of us, anybody who takes up meditation, recognizes that, wait a second, you know, maybe I need to just explore another approach because this approach doesn't seem to be freeing me from suffering. So it's worth it. You know? And I, for me, I know I came to practice in an incredible state of de- desperation because I was very clear, it was one of the, uh, probably one of the only things I had going for myself at that time, was a recognition that... Um, I didn't have the answers and that I wasn't going to be able to think my way to happiness. That I needed to take a really different approach, which is a a practice of awareness, of simply bringing awareness into the here and now and taking a look at it without the prejudgments, without trying to fix myself, 
without trying to get rid of the things that I don't like about myself. And for me, I think one of my main motivations in practice was I didn't like, you know, I, at that point in my life, I had some social phobias. There was a lot of fear in my life. Uh, and I could track the place. A lot of it was unconscious, but certainly a certain amount of it was conscious. And I wanted not to be, have that experience. I wanted to be fearless. Well, like several decades later, uh, there's still fear there. But the relationship to it has fundamentally changed. So it doesn't create the same degree of suffering. It might arise, but it comes and it goes. You know, sometimes it gets a little sticky. But the understanding is to bring awareness to what is arising without the agenda. Oh, I'm supposed to be fearless by now. And this kind of agenda and expectations, this clinging that causes us suffering, isn't, um, it isn't just for new students or new people to meditation. It's, it happens for very experienced meditators because quite often with experienced meditators, the, the bar goes up. You know, the expectations go up. You know, I've been practicing 10 years. I should be here. You know, I should be exactly the way books are describing enlightenment or whatever it might be. And so we can see that idea that I should be here as disempowering. It causes suffering. It takes us out of the here and now. We're imposing a concept that's causing tension and suffering and it's knocking us out of harmony. It disempowers us from learning how to deal and work with in a wholesome, skillful way with what is actually happening. And that's what we're doing here on this retreat is we're developing that ability to do that. We're developing the ability to respond to the changing conditions. The changing conditions of our life, the changing conditions of the retreat, the changing conditions in our practice. And we're really at the early stages of it. So this evaluating and comparing is a habit, okay, a big habit. And again, the culture that we live in, not all cultures are so obsessed with comparing ourselves to other people. Not all cultures are obsessed with this constant evaluation. You know, and again, it gets reinforced in our jobs and other places like that. That's why in some ways practice is difficult because we're so used to having to perform and to you know, expect to be evaluated and we're comparing ourselves to others and we're also operating quite often in, in the world um, within the framework of success and failure. Success and failure. Well, I can tell you there's no such thing as a successful meditation. You know, there's no such thing as a meditation that's a failure. That framework doesn't apply to practice. Practice is a process that's unfolding. The difficult sits can be just as valuable as the peaceful calm sits. If we're making an effort to be mindful, what else, what more can we ask? What more can we ask? So the signals of clinging and expectation, places where you want to acknowledge and be mindful of, you know, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning about all the tricks of mind, the different ways we react to different situations and different conditions, whether it's the body, our our hearts, our minds, the, the external conditions that we're living in, the people that we bump into, people that we're interacting with. 
Uh, we're learning about how we, what do we do in those situations. Yeah. We bring that into our life, that orientation. And so when we bring that orientation, that awareness of how we're relating to something, uh, how we're relating when things like uh, a feeling of frustration, as I mentioned, feeling discouraged, you know, it's pretty hard to bypass that one at times. I mean, I've certainly, all of us, three of us for sure, and any meditator has had moments of feeling really discouraged. And, you know, it comes with the territory sometimes because things aren't, unfold, aren't fold, unfolding the way we would like them to. But oftentimes it's not what's unfolding that's causing the suffering because that's just kind of impermanent. It's oftentimes very relatable. It's more that we expect that to not be happening or we expect something else to be happening. And so that creates a lot of discouragement. The same with self-criticism, another habit. When we find ourselves criticizing, it's because how often is we're clinging to an idea of how we are supposed to be. Think about that. It's absurd in a way, although you know, we buy into it. To cling to an idea about who you should be it causes an enormous amount of suffering and it's, it disempowers us, that self-criticism. Okay? It's a tremendous state of non-relaxation. creates a lot of stress. Again, in this culture, there's a tremendous amount of self-criticism to go around, that's for sure. Resistance. You know, forms of resistance are expressions of clinging to what, again, what we want to have happen, what we don't want to be happening is where the resistance comes in, right? When we're experiencing something pleasant, we cling to it. We want it to last. When we experience something unpleasant, we experience resistance to it. And in the mindfulness practice, it's so important to then begin to bring awareness to the resistance itself. And a lot of practice can be that. Because quite often the habits that we've picked up is automatic. I mean, it doesn't mean that we always are going to relate that way, but it's so automatic, it's so quick. Something unpleasant happens and there's resistance to it. So getting to know different expressions of resistance and how it expresses itself what we want to do is really begin to include the different expressions of resistance through the day when it arises. And again, the key is not, even when these kinds of states like frustration, discouragement, resistance, we can all agree, yeah, those are forms of suffering. And then we can go, oh, sorry. This thing's a curse. One of those modern day technologies that drive me crazy, uh, these air mics, but I guess they're clearer, better, faster. (laughs) Um, Where was I? That happens sometimes. Um, Resistance, resistance, I was going there somewhere. Oh, yeah, we, we can have, the, you know, we can very quickly leap to, oh, yeah, these are forms of suffering, resistance, uh, discouragement, self-criticism, um, 
disappointment. Yeah, sure, we can all acknowledge that those are forms of suffering. But then the key is, can we then relate to that resistance without reinforcing the resistance to those states of mind? Mm-hmm. We can see that resistance is causing us suffering. But, and then we might get, develop an agenda that, oh, I don't want that resistance. I want that resistance to go away because I know it's causing me suffering. Be careful with that. Sure, it's a source of suffering, but that attitude of that relationship is going to reinforce the resistance. So often when we get involved in self-criticism, we'll start criticizing ourselves for that. You know, it's extremely unproductive to do that, guaranteed. So the power of mindfulness is that it doesn't add to that experience. It doesn't add to that resistance. It doesn't judge that resistance. It's not, uh, it doesn't have a preconception, for instance, that you shouldn't feel frustrated or that you should feel peaceful. It allows us to have the experience that we're having and it meets it with open-hearted attention. That's fundamentally different oftentimes than what our thinking process does, which is constantly evaluating, comparing, judging, assessing, developing all sorts of concepts and ideas. Mindfulness, not interested. That's not that, that resource, that, that intelligence that we have. It it's really just allows us to meet the present moment and let us know what the actual experience is. Think about that. Think about how wonderful that is to have that power. That the actual experience is enough. Doesn't have to be more, better, different. So these kinds of things can roll off the tongue pretty easily. But the direct experience and, and you know, the, the effort or the work that's involved in it. Um, you know, all of us, you know, look at the Buddha and I look at what he went through and how much letting go he, he was involved in, you know, taking up all these ascetic practices and, you know, his teachers telling him that this is, you know, this is the way and him really taking them up in a very full way and eventually getting to a place where he had to let that all go and just take a look. Do the Vipassana. Just take a look at his experience in a direct way without those ideas, without that uh, history of other people telling him, you know, do this and do that. It's like, no, I'll, I'll take a look myself. I need to understand suffering, so I'm going to sit with myself and I'm going to take a look at my experience in a very direct way and I'm going to see if it's possible to discover the truth. The truth of suffering and the truth of liberation. You know, see, if it's, see if it's possible. You know, is it possible to liberate the heart, to unburden the heart? Well, it is. Absolutely. But it takes a bit of effort. <laughs> Quite a bit of effort, actually. But the quality of effort is key. A lot of our effort gets generated, is driven by our agenda and our expectations. And we call that striving. Trying to make something happen. 
That's not wise effort. The quality of wise effort is gentle. 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 You know, it's not rigid. We're not imposing a lot of demands on ourselves. We're learning. Gentle means you learn. You're willing to learn. So, you know, you're taking a look. And wise effort in practice is crucial. Of course, it's the effort to be mindful, to be awake, as we've been talking about. It's, it's facilitating this awakening process. That's what we're interested in. We're not interested in imposing more ideas about how we are supposed to be or how things should be or how our practice should look. You know, it's just, that's more of the becoming, the suffering of becoming that the Buddha talked about. So the effort is gentle, but it also requires a little bit of determination, but perseverance, a willingness to show up. Without perseverance, some degree of perseverance, and again, perseverance is something that it's not striving, but it's a willingness. It's, it, it's based really in some ways, I think perseverance can come out of an understanding of what the undertaking is and realizing that one sitting is not bad and one sitting is not good. Uh, you know, the path is bigger than that. Uh, and what we're asking ourselves is to let go of our history and our conditioning and to discover something fundamentally new, like how, what is the understanding, you know, what, how do we liberate ourselves? What's the path? And bringing some kind of understanding to that. And and quite frankly, there's a lot of delusion about that. So it takes perseverance. It takes showing up, for sure. But it's gentle perseverance. And it's learned. It's not like we're automatically there. I mean, for sure. You know, a lot of times the habits of mind that we bring in. You know, I, I look at my own experience and... You know, with that agenda of fearlessness and, you know, many other things, certainly the agenda of being enlightened, uh, that didn't work out. Uh, you know, drop those concepts at, some, at certain point and you just practice and you learn and you free yourself. But striving is a habit of mind oftentimes because when we're operating in the world of success and failure, when we encounter resistance and we want things to be other than what they are, and we're clinging to that idea. It's not to say that aspirations to be free is, is not something that we want to, uh, it's not something that we want to abandon. No, we, we want to nurture that aspiration. It's healthy, it's wholesome. We need that aspiration. But it's understanding how that freedom is experienced. That's what we're looking at. We're not letting go of that aspiration. But we're bringing a deeper understanding to what that process looks like in a very direct way, moment to moment sometimes, day to day, year to year. And discovering it, sometimes over and over again. We can have an insight, make a discovery, and then sometimes we forget. And then we wake up again. And gradually the mind stays a little bit more awake and it doesn't necessarily go down a lot of dead ends. It's not as confused. It becomes more discerning. I mean, we're such... We have so much potential, yet so often we lack discernment. You know, we make choices that cause us suffering. We don't see clearly the way out. And with practice, that seeing, that seeing clearly develops. 
The Buddha described wise effort. I think a really beautiful analogy, really, is it's about tuning the strings of a lute, ancient kind of guitar-stringed instrument. And he says, if you tune the strings too tight, it hurts to play. You really can't play. It hurts. It's painful. If you tune them too low, too lax, too low, you really can't make music. And so it's finding that balance between the striving and the lax. The striving. So it's this gentle perseverance of showing up, nurturing more relaxation in practice, paying attention to the resistance when it comes up, responding, it with, responding to the resistance with more open-hearted attention. So in practice, inevitably, there are ups and downs. There are ins and outs. There'll be times when you feel inspired. There'll be times when you have a lot of doubt. There'll be times when you're happy to be here. There may be times when you're not so happy to be here. And that all comes with the territory. That's the territory of, of being a yogi. And... What we're doing here, making this commitment to come for five days and to keep showing up in the schedule, is, is exactly that. It's a willingness. It takes, uh, Susan mentioned this the other day, it takes courage. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dramatizing it. It really does take a certain amount of courage to show up uh, and to be with yourself. Not everybody is willing to do that. I mean, it, it's, meditation is gotten a lot more popular, to say the least. Our retreats used to be smaller, much smaller. Now it's like a you know, pretty full house, this retreat, huh? Um, so through the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the times when you feel good, you want to just acknowledge where you're at. Remember, we're not up here saying you should be feeling good. You should be having insight. You should be concentrated. You'll never hear a teacher ever say that. Okay? Because we're not interested in posing an idea. I mean, if we find the practice useful, that's great. Uh, it can be a, a, a tremendous tool and a, a profound journey of liberation for sure. But there are challenges and obstacles along the way. And our willingness to, to be with ourselves in such a direct way, uh, to take a look at the challenges that we face, 
the highs and the lows um, and not run away. You know, one of the habits that we have often is avoiding and escaping. And that's one form of relaxation. You know, in this culture, relaxation is often seen, seen is, you know, the only refuge oftentimes folks have in order to nurture more relaxation and ease is through escape, you know, through um, distracting oneself. I think the average viewing time of Americans, now I have a TV, so I, I watch TV. Um, unfortunately, I watch a lot of news. Um, but I think the average viewing time is six hours a day. That's insane. That's a lot of TV. You know, and it's, I'm sure why, it's because it's a refuge of some sort. You know, it may create some, you know, different reactions that don't feel relaxed, but basically it, it is a refuge. Um, you know, drugs, there's just so many ways that we can distract. Our toys can be a distraction. And, and it's, it's not to sit here and say, you know, okay, so TV is bad. It's not that. It's how we use it. You know, it's how we use it. It's not, how, it's not the toys that are bad. It's how we relate to them. And, and what I would say is the, the, the issue is with these kind of refuges that we rely on for some degree of freedom and some degree of relaxation when we only rely on those ways to experience relaxation. It's very limiting because, first of all, it's, it depends on the conditions that are there and those conditions come and go. But also what it does do is it disempowers us because we don't do the work. We don't, we're not actually developing the resources within ourselves that are going to serve us so that we don't accumulate stress, so that we can actually function and thrive even in difficult conditions, so that we can actually learn from our experience even when it's painful or difficult. And we all have that capacity to do that. And that's a much more profound form of relaxation. It's what, we, what we're working on in this practice is moving in a direction of relaxation and freedom, moving in the direction of the unconditioned freedom, where it isn't dependent on a particular situation or a particular body or a particular emotion, happening or not happening, but it's about really discovering freedom under, in any situation. And there are so many stories that I've heard over the years in talking with people in practice and certainly in the tradition, there's many reports of people being subject, and you probably know some folks already, and you might be one of them, where you're subject to something really incredibly difficult. But the way it gets related to liberates the heart, unburdens the heart, frees the mind. So it's not conditioned having it a certain way. And think about that. You know, that's worth working for. That's, wor- that's worth working for. So, used up my slot. So, let's just uh, have a minute of silence and just reconnect to the body or the breath for about a minute until the sound of the bell rings.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.